At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. We heard from a whole lot of people who don't think they should be paying income taxes to Cleveland while they are working from home. That's one hot issue, and we'll be talking about it on today's episode of This Week in the CLE, the coronavirus podcast from Cleveland.com. I'm Cleveland.com editor Chris Quinn with Jane Cahoon, Laura Johnston, and Chris Warnowski. Mike DeWine said yesterday that the most common question he is asked about when he is asked is when people can get a haircut. You all feeling a bit shaggy? Uh, My husband has this very James Dean swoop thing going on, but so far he has not resorted to asking me to cut his hair. Uh, I've gotten all these photos from friends of them using clippers on their son's hair. Um, Some moms have even given in requests for mohawks because they're like, why not? Wow. (laughs) Wow. Like, I haven't gone, like, full Travis Bickle yet. uh, (laughs) But it's getting, it's very long. And, and, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's long hair. Like, it's better than, you know, the Black Plague. (laughs) I'm not worried about the length of my hair, but. There seem to be all these little blonde streaks coming, going in. <laughs> well, I guess being hair challenged as I am better prepares you for the apocalypse. Let's start the podcast. Why am I required to pay income taxes to Cleveland when I've been working from home for the last five weeks? This is a question that I think is destined for the courts. Cleveland has a 2.5% income tax, and the huge bulk of it is paid by people who do not live in Cleveland. That means a whole lot of people have spent the past month not working in Cleveland, yet they are still paying the Cleveland income tax. Chris Wernowski, why is that? So back in late March, DeWine signed a giant piece of legislation that was designed to address the coronavirus. And there was a six-line provision in there that the Ohio Chamber, the Ohio Chamber of Commerce got in there that basically would help businesses avoid suddenly having to uh, recalculate all of their employees withholdings based on where they live. And this is kind of why that matters. The state law says that after 20 working days in a, if you're working in a municipality for 20 days, an employee can have a tax liability there and the employer should withhold taxes. So that's like, if you're a construction worker, and you work all over the place. If you're doing a job in Cleveland and you're there for more than 20 days, you have to start paying taxes. So right now, the law that's in effect says that you're still going to get taxed if your employer is based in like Cleveland or if your employer's in Lakewood or whatever. So um, and that's a big deal. And but, and but is the key word there the withholding? I mean, that, that, that doesn't sound like then the legislature has changed the law about when you owe income tax to a city. All it did was avoid the paperwork snafu by saying, yeah, you're going to keep having it withheld wherever your employer is. But 
depending on how many days I don't work in Cleveland, can I get my taxes refunded? Well, we're going to find out because I think if history is any indicator, somebody's probably going to challenge this in court and say, like, this is unfair. And and so I think we're, you know, we're one cunning lawyer away from from this becoming a, a big issue. And 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 really, it has the ability to hurt cities like Cleveland quite a bit. Well, the city told Bob Higgs, the reporter who did the story, that it interprets the legislation to mean that the money is due to the city, but there's no way that stands. I mean, you cannot force somebody to pay a tax to a city where they don't work and they don't live. I think you're right. The, the, a lawyer is going to do this. I mean, just do the math. I mean, if it's 400 plus million that Cleveland gets from income taxes and 90% of it's coming from people who don't live there, every month that goes by is a sizable chunk of millions of dollars. Right. And that, that, you know, it'll probably be a burden felt by people like me who still live in the city. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is Laura Johnston. When this came up on a conference call, I immediately muted myself and asked my husband what his company does since he works from home a lot. And this was really old hat for him. He said on the days he works from home, his work doesn't withhold Cleveland taxes. But there's been this change that just kind of got like snuck in. Well, the others that have a dog in this hunt are the suburbs, right? Because many, not mine, but many offer income tax discounts to residents who pay in Cleveland. So if those residents don't owe the money to Cleveland, they owe more to the suburbs, which also are hurting for some money. Right. I mean, each suburb is different in how much of a discount they give you if you work and pay income taxes in another city. Usually there's some discount from like a half a percent to the full to two and a half percent. If they get your full tax burden, they'd be banking some serious money. And they might really need that if they're not getting income taxes from the employees of restaurants and stores in their communities that are shut down because of the pandemic. I think Chris is right. I think the lawyers are going to be tripping over each other to get the the case filed on this because it's just too big a payout. And we're not even talking about the future. I mean, if a whole lot of people stop working downtown because companies realize they can save rent, Cleveland stands to lose a lot of millions of dollars. Right. This is, we kind of, I mean, we addressed this on the podcast before when we were talking about the future and working from home. And, and honestly, you know, we didn't have time to really address it. But, you know, one of the things I was going to talk about was this very issue that, like, it's going to create a lot of boundary and tax issues related to where you work, where you live. It's going to create a lot of headaches, I think, you know. Well, well, and the key is people should be talking about this now. They should be planning for this. The city should have a strike force saying, "Okay, if we're going to lose 20 percent of our future income taxes, what do we do? How does that work? Is there is there a reduction in services because fewer people are downtown? I don't think those conversations are having yet. And and it's a discussion I'm sure we'll have on another day. Well, and this is where regionalism makes a whole lot of sense that they all should be talking to each other because, the you know, the strength of the region matters. You can't have a downtown that's a, a whole, you know. Right. OK, it's this week in the CLE. Will all the fun of summer be canceled in Ohio because of the coronavirus? This question keeps coming up, partly because we don't have a firm answer and partly because people are desperate for something to look forward to. It came up again Tuesday in Governor Mike DeWine's daily briefing. And Laura Johnston, while we did not get an answer, we got some very ominous words. 
Yeah, I admit that I am obsessed with summer, so I jump all over this stuff whenever it comes up. But DeWine was asked specifically about pools and zoos, stuff to take kids to in the summer. He did not give a definitive answer, but mentioned amusement parks and baseball games before giving a big but and telling us the reality is we all need to keep doing what we're doing, staying home. For a leader who's given a whole lot of hints about his plans, it sounds like he's saying no Cedar Point opening anytime in the future and and other summer fun. One of our statehouse reporters, Andrew Tobias, said this first, but it felt like a very different tone and message than the optimism last week when DeWine's announced he was going to fight to restart um, Ohio's economy. What about vacations, summer camps, pools, and July 4th fireworks? Well, camps and pools are specifically banned in the stay-at-home order that expires May 1st, so I'm really expecting those to continue. Uh, Fireworks have not been specifically mentioned, but Ohio Department of Health Director Dr. Amy Acton said she did not expect to see much travel, including to see extended family. She said to stick to your household unit. So I guess that means I'm not even supposed to see my parents. Okay, so here's the moment where we have the bigger thought, right? It seems like there's a basic question underneath these issues, and and it is, what is the goal? Are DeWine and Acton trying to prevent as many people as possible from getting the virus, or is it what they said at the beginning, that they wanted to slow its bread, which they have done? And I ask because if the goal is the second thing, then there's a recognition that nearly all of us are going to be exposed to it over time. And if that's the case, then why not open some of these things in the summer where the virus spreads a little naturally and people deal with it? Why not let people go to vacation homes? The stuff they seem to be hinting at, though, seems more like they're trying to prevent it from spreading at all. So if they open pools, Laura, would you go? Would you send your kids to summer camp? I think this is a really interesting discussion. and. Yes, I would go to the pools, in part because chlorine kills germs. The CDC says there's no evidence that the virus spreads at pools or through water at all. You could bring your own sanitizing wipes for your lounge chair, drag it into a space six feet from everyone else, and I think I think it could be pretty safe. Now, is anyone going to want to take that risk on being the one that opens the pool? That's the big question. As for summer camp, part of me thinks, yes, keep your kids outside, make them sanitize their hands often. But if the goal is not to overwhelm the hospital system, then let the kids have fun. Keep them away from populations you're worried about. On the other hand, I don't want to be the socially irresponsible person that's causing people problems. So this is a big debate. But get get back to it, though. Amy Acton has said over and over again, we're not reducing the number of people who get it. We're reducing the rate at which they get it. But if everybody is kept home, if everybody is still locked down, you're not you're not doing that. You're not. It's not spreading. And how long do you do you go about it? Chris Ranowski, I'm sure you got a feeling about this because it's a central question. Is this to protect people from getting it at all or is it really about to to make it spread much more slowly? I mean, people don't like to hear this, but I honestly think this is designed to protect people from their 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 worst impulses. Like I like truly like, I mean, we've managed to keep our parks open while we have chastised States like Florida for like reopening their beaches. And and it's like, you know, I, I think that, and you saw what happened there, it, you know, they opened the beaches and people went out and they were immediately irresponsible. And, <laughs> yes, they and, were. <laughs> and, and so people don't like to hear this, but some of this stuff is being done for your own good. And, and so, you know, we do have a responsibility to make sure that, 
you know, we don't overburden the hospitals, that we don't, that when people inevitably get sick, because people are going to continue to get sick, because we're nowhere near a vaccine. So, you know, we have to make but sure. But haven't that we, we have done that? Capacity. I think we have. But but the risk is, to me, the biggest risk is the second you give anybody any sense that things are going back to quote unquote normal, everybody goes out and they're just like, I'm getting my hair cut, I'm going to Chick-fil-A, I'm going to whatever. And it's like, okay, no, like we have, they're still. But isn't that the same, same argument we were having before when people, you know, the public health officials are trying to protect us from ourselves. And so they were saying, don't go buy a mask because they didn't want to tell us the truth. I mean, I feel like, you know, it's not a babysitter state and they've been so big about masks lately. And I'm like, why do I need a mask? I'm not allowed to go anywhere. You know, like, I, well, I don't know. I, I just, but oh, Laura, you just tapped into something. The other factor in this is where people's heads are. Right. Will they accept the current level of inactivity for an entire Ohio summer? I kind of doubt it. I, I mean, I think that people are rammy now. There, there, there's also people looking at the rate of infection and saying, okay, we got this. I think, I think what, what the thing that Chris is worried about might happen just naturally because people are not going to spend the summer locked up inside. Don't you think that there's a much greater chance that come June, people are going to be a little bit looser with what they're doing? I, I absolutely do. And I think the question is, what is going to happen with the stay at home order that ends May 1st? Is it going to be lifted or a little bit lifted? I mean, if you can't restart an economy just by saying you can go to your job and that's it. I, that's yeah. not and fully say, an economy. I have to say they they need to get to telling us very, very soon. Like the the fact that we're like a week and a half away from May 1st. I know the details need to start coming and they need to start coming fast. And it, it, I think the reason people keep reading stories and like that, is there going to be summer is because everyone is desperate for some answers and, you know, a little bit of hope. Last night we found out that my son's soccer and little league seasons were canceled and there were moms sobbing about it. And I know it sounds insignificant, but these are cornerstones of summer in in small communities. And I feel like, the fun stuff's been yanked away from us and we're living in this weird pause button limbo and people are sad. I like, well, I don't know I what they're going to do with right. all those feelings. I, but I think Chris is right. One of the reasons there's all this anxiety is because Columbus has not come forward with the details. They keep saying they're coming. John Houston's not at the briefing because he's working on the details, but you're right, Chris, we're 10 days away, man. Not even when do we get the, uh, the details, but, uh, I, and, but I get it. Like it's, we're in this, this is tough. This is unprecedented. We weren't prepared, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, it, again, we're, it's easy to forgive the idea because they are dealing with something that does result in people dying. So again, on the other end of the spectrum, it's like summer versus mass death. And so this is hard. Right. These I, are hard I, things that, I agree. these are massive philosophical and existential things that our, our elected officials are dealing with. And and it's hard. And I, and, I see. And, I'm not sure it's summer versus mass death, but but we'll leave it there. I mean, we'll have more to talk about. <laughs> uh, 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 it's this week in the CLA. What is Ohio Governor Mike DeWine's latest step to solve the Ohio coronavirus testing crisis? There remains a lot we don't know about COVID-19, but one thing upon which there is near universal agreement is that we need a lot more testing in Ohio especially if the state is going to begin reopening May 1st. 
But from the start of this pandemic, Ohio has been woefully behind in testing. It comes up nearly every day. On Tuesday, the governor announced a new strategy. Jane Cahoon, what is it? Well, he's named a couple of big names here. Uh, Former governors Bob Taft, who's a Republican, and Dick Celeste, who's a Democrat, to head this strike force that's going to be dedicated to improving and expanding the the state's testing capacity. He, He also announced that the FDA has approved a new reagent or chemical compound that they use in coronavirus testing. Uh, that's made by Thermo Fisher Scientific. He he thinks that'll escalate their testing ability. You know, I was listening to the briefing yesterday, and even though I did, I have almost no idea what Taft and Celeste are supposed to do. <laughs> well, I don't think they're exactly clear on their mission yet. I mean, they were just named. I think DeWine just called them Tuesday morning, but he said that their knowledge and expertise would be used to to help the state with this. And um, Seth Richardson, our reporter, touched base with with both of them Tuesday afternoon, and and they said, well, they they hadn't even had a chance to to get together yet on this. So. <laughs> All right, but, okay, but the whole world is trying to get testing supplies. So, do Taft and Celeste have some sort of superhero skills that put them at the head of the pack? <laughs> I can just see them in their capes, right? <laughs> um, they he said that they, these are two people who know how to get things done and both of them have you know national and international experience so i guess those are their superpowers okay i'm still kind of flummoxed i have no idea what they'll do did dewine not ask our most recent former governor john Kasich, or is it possible he asked him and was denied john who <laughs> <laughs> listen i i don't want to make too much out of this um i don't think you know, they're the best of buddies. But, you know, DeWine has praised Kasich for several things, like building up the Rainy Day Fund and creating Jobs Ohio. But it's obvious he wasn't happy about other problems he inherited from the Kasich but, administration, but, such as having to raise the gas tax. And But, but I, I don't know what's Kasich going on Didn't Kasich go to China, though? Did, did, didn't, as During his time in governor, didn't he do a trade mission to China? I'm not sure... <sighs> Taft it might have been Japan. I don't know. But, oh, um, all right. you know, Taft okay. and Celeste were both in the Peace Corps. So there's another element to their international experience. DeWine appears to have several points of clear frustration in his coronavirus efforts. One is the continuing failures of the unemployment website. One is the repeated technical glitches that are happening during his daily briefing. And one is the testing. Can this solve them? Time will tell. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What is Ohio's latest strategy for ending its failures with unemployment? We have not seen John Houston this week on the governor's daily briefing, which makes you wonder whether he's just tired of getting beat up for the repeated failures of the computer system people use to get their unemployment. Day after day after day, Ohioans are frustrated. Yesterday, Chris Wernowski, the state unveiled a new strategy, seemingly aimed at bringing some order to this, although it seems a little confusing to me. What is it and will it work? So yesterday, the Ohio Department of Jobs and Family Services asked anyone who was in, approved for unemployment benefits to file their weekly claims on designated days designed to relieve the pressure of everybody going to the site at one time all the time. And so is it clear to you? Do you think this makes sense? 
Um, it does. I, you know, I think we accidentally published some, some bad information and so we have corrected it. So we added to the confusion a little bit, but, um, it, 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 it does. I hope, you know, I hope everybody who, who reads it can sort of get through what they're asking people to do. But basically what they're saying is on one day, if you've already been approved for this, now this doesn't apply to people who haven't applied yet. If you're applying for the first time, you can apply whenever you want. But but if you are re-upping your claims weekly, which the state requires you to do, you have to go on a specific day. So if your last name starts with A through H, you go on one day. If it's I through P, you go on another day. And then uh, if it's Q through Z, you go another day. And then there every other day of the week, you're allowed to just go on whenever. But they what they're trying to do is is to uh, sort of alleviate the the log jam that they have on on at least three days where everybody seems to be going and trying to get through. And but for people who just lost their jobs, they can go anytime. They don't have. Yeah. So if do. you're if you're new to the process, so if you got laid off on Monday and you're just sitting down to figure out how to deal with this, then you can go on and you can apply. But this is you know once you get approved, then you know you have to basically reprove every week that you're still unemployed and 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 go through some more paperwork. They don't make this easy for anybody e- even during regular times. So as as you know, they've tried to increase their capacity and their their bandwidth to to deal with the what was it 880,000 people who are on un- unemployment in the state now. It, it, you know, it's 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 been a problem and it's been the most consistent problem since we've started this and, and wouldn't it be easier wouldn't it be easier to just waive the weekly requirement that you have to come back and make a claim and maybe make it bi-weekly or once a month? I mean, there are a number of ways they could make this easier for people, and that is certainly one of them. I, I think I think if they really wanted to alleviate traffic, um, ensuring that 800,000 people who have been who are applying for uh, unemployment don't have to come back every week would be one way to drop the traffic. So, yeah. you know, if they really you know, if they wanted to say like, we can, we can have you re up every month. Uh, we can have you re up every two weeks. We, I mean, there's, there's a lot that they could do. I mean, these unemployment systems are, are really wonky and really, really antiquated. And I, I think there's, there's ways that they could make this a lot easier and they should keep it that way once this is over. Well, the key is though, what they're doing is putting the onus on the unemployed and, and all of the things you just said puts the onus on the state. They should be taking the onus of this. We'll, we'll have to see how it works. Well, when you when you spend, you know, political seasons vilifying, you know, unemployment and benefits like that, you know, you, you tend to see why stuff like this happens. Yeah. Okay. You're listening this week in the CLE. What are the three phases of President Donald Trump's plan to reopen America in the coronavirus crisis? The president has gone back of a bit on whether he has the power to reopen the country at first insisting he was in charge and then backtracking what he did do ultimately was put together a plan for how the states might begin coming back breaking it into three phases jen Cahoon, let's go through them what's in phase one phase one has venues like sit-down restaurants movie theaters churches other places of worship gyms and and they mentioned sporting venues with some strict physical distancing rules. Um, also, it looks like elective surgeries, um, but the schools would still be closed. Daycares would still be closed. 
you still couldn't visit your loved one in a nursing home or or a senior facility. Bars would be closed and vulnerable people would still have to stay home. All right. So before we get to phase two and three, this this seems cockeyed to me. Is this really saying that the first things you open before the schools or before nursing home visits are Indians and Cavs games? That kind of flies in the face of everything that Ohio officials have been saying. Yeah, I I wonder about that. I mean, I I guess either there'd have to be some really, really strict rules or or maybe it would occur without spectators. I don't know. But the, the, the governor has repeatedly said that mass gatherings are going to be the last thing they're going to restart. So, you know, I don't know. Keep in mind that Trump's guidelines did not include any target dates. So I think there's some wiggle room in there. I know. I just think it's odd that before you figure out schools reopening, you're putting tens of thousands of people in a sports team. Seems weird, but okay, let's move to phase two. What's in that? So that would be our schools reopening, daycares, camps, bars, uh, but they would have rules about, you know, where you could stand, uh, some non-essential travel. They'd still encourage people to work from home if they could, and they would maybe loosen things up a little bit for restaurants, and those poor vulnerable people would still be staying home. You can kind of see schools being in phase two, because as we've discussed and Laura has mentioned in previous podcast, the kids are going to be hard to corral into wearing masks and washing their hands. Okay, so what what happens in phase three? Phase three would look a lot more like normal, although not totally normal, because there still would be a lot of physical distancing and hygiene being stressed. But restaurants and sports venues, you know, vulnerable people could actually go out, but they'd have to avoid situations where they couldn't physically distance. And um, people could probably go back to their offices. What's interesting is, is that, you know, we all pay attention to the governor's briefing and his statements every day. And he has not talked about the reopening in anything like the framework the president has laid out, even though he keeps saying I'm aligned with the president. A lot of people that we hear from have been paying attention to what Trump says. And so they keep trying to put that framework on Ohio. But when push comes to shove, Will DeWine do what Trump is asking or will he do what the scientists are recommending? So this is my opinion, but I think DeWine will do what he thinks is right. I think he's going to follow the science. I think he's going to follow Dr. Amy Acton's advice. And unlike some of the Democratic governors, I think he'll get a pass from Trump because DeWine is still very popular and people seem to approve of, of how he's handled this crisis. And the reality is that that Trump needs another victory in Ohio this November. Well, and he might just keep saying, even though he does what he wants to do, he might just keep telling us, I'm doing what the president says. Because <laughs> yeah, that's just, what he keeps saying. Keeps exactly. saying. We're aligned. We're totally aligned. I mean, he keeps telling us that he's doing, you know, they're, they're in lockstep on this. And then everything he says isn't in lockstep. But if he keeps saying it, then Trump will be happy because that's all the president seems to care about. OK, it's this week in the CLE. All right, another episode in the can, ready to publish. Thanks, Jane, Chris, and Laura, and thanks everyone who was listening this week in the CLE from Cleveland.com. We'll return Thursday.